Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. We're going to get back to the Gospel of John for a while. For those of you that have been here, you know that we started into this book some time ago, and we've taken some breaks for other other things like Christmas and so on, and uh, now we're going to get back to John for a while. Years ago, I knew a fellow whose normal manner of greeting people was to say, what do you know for sure? And uh, this fellow was not a believer like me. He was part of an organization that I served, and I would come around and visit these places just to kind of make my face known and be available. And So I'd walk in, and he'd say, what do you know for sure? And I'd say, I know lots of things for sure. Well, <laughs> you know... He wanted to kind of change the subject right away to get on to something less definite than what I knew a lot about. You know, people today are kind of that way in general. They would like you to believe that there aren't many things that are really certain, many things that you can know for certain, and yet there are a great many things that we can know for certain, and some of the greatest of those are right here in John chapter 10. We're going to start, we're going to look at a piece of this chapter today at something that we can know for certain, and that is knowing for certain that we are the children of God, or as it's put here, the sheep of Christ. Follow as I read, please, from John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I and my Father are one. We're just going to consider the first half of this passage today, the half that talks about what it means to be one of Christ's sheep. What is the description of Christ's sheep? Well, the first description is this. They recognize the voice of the shepherd. And so I want to ask this question. How does the shepherd call? How can they have, if they're going to recognize, they have to hear the call. Well, the first way that the shepherd calls, the first way that he told these folks here that he calls, is he calls through the truth. Look at verse uh, 24, 25. They're, they're, they're asking a question. They say, Are you going to keep us in doubt? That's the way the New King James translated it. The word is a a word that it literally means how long are you going to keep our soul up in the air? Keep us in suspense. They're saying, if you are the Messiah, tell us you are the Messiah. And what does Jesus say in verse 25? He says, it ain't rocket science, fellas. He says, I already told you. 
Now, there is an interesting perspective on how he told them. And I think uh, the commentator by the name of F.F. Bruce summarized it real well. And here's what he says. Jesus had not so far outright in Jerusalem said, I am the Messiah and used that word. He did not use that word. And if you're unfamiliar with that word, it's the Old Testament word which talked about the Savior to come, the anointed one. He's, he didn't use that word in Jerusalem in public. And Bruce goes on, it was one thing for him to tell the woman at the well of Sychar who he was. To, to her, the term Messiah had a purely religious connotation. But among these Jews, it had a political and military implication which Jesus was careful to avoid. You see, these folks were looking for this, this, uh, this king on a white horse to storm into town and say, come on, folks, let's throw off the oppression of the Romans. That was their primary picture of the Messiah. Now, that is a picture of the Messiah in the Old Testament. But they had completely missed the part we read this morning from Isaiah 53 which says he's going to suffer and die and God's going to punish him for the sins of the world. They had completely missed that. And so what Jesus does is in his ministry is he constantly emphasizes the spiritual element of the, of the uh, Messiah and he does not emphasize the, uh, what we would call social political element of the Messiah. The end game for Christ is going to be to rule on the throne of David for a thousand years from, from Jerusalem, and it will be a spiritual, social, political, economic kingdom, a complete world domination in every form. But these folks only focused on that one element, so Jesus doesn't, in Jerusalem, he does not say, I'm the Messiah. But what does he say? He said this, but Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he said God was his father, making himself equal with God. They got the picture. He's saying, I am the Son of God. That was a clear element of the Messiah in the Old Testament, and, and so they got that. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he's committed everything, all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death into life. Is that fuzzy? It's not. It's real plain. You, you know, there are folks still today who say, Jesus never claimed to be God. And you're, you, you just want to say, like I said to a friend recently, you got to read the Bible. And he said, I read it once. And that's what happened to these folks. They had read the Bible once. They had actually read the Bible many times, but they ignored things that they didn't want to see. And so Jesus tells them here in John 10, 
when they question him, are you the Messiah? He says, I've already told you. I've already answered this question. If you're here today and you've never heard the truth of God, I want to tell it to you today. I don't want you to walk out of here and say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe. That would be a mistake on our part. We've just read the truth. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of God. He went on and died for our sins. That's what this commemorates right here. It commemorates the shedding of his blood and the beating of his body. And he says you need to believe in the Father and in him if you're going to have everlasting life. That is the truth of Christ. It's clear and plain in the scripture. It was clear and plain. Jesus had said it in many ways to many people. One of the very leaders of this group of Pharisees was a guy named Nicodemus. Maybe he was even the head teacher. And he came personally to Jesus and got that famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And he went back and no doubt told it to these folks, but they're coming and continuing to question Jesus because the problem is they don't believe. We'll look at that in a minute. You need to know the truth. And if you're sitting here today and you've never heard that truth before, here's one of the things I want to say to you. Christ is calling to you. How does Christ call? He's not going to talk out of heaven and go, hey, buddy. He's not going to do that. He's going to call through us. Christian, Christ is going to use you to call people around you to faith in Christ. He's not going to call out of heaven. He's going to use you. He's going to use us. There's a second way that Christ calls to his sheep second way that we can recognize his voice, and that is through his impact. Look at verse 25 again. I already told you. He's talking about the truth. I told you the truth and you don't believe. Now he says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Again, he says, fellas, this isn't rocket science. Look at the miracles I've been doing. Here's a, a great example of somebody who is a sincere questioner of Christ, not a skeptic as these folks were. And this is talking about John the Baptist. John was in prison um, because he had told the truth to the king and the king didn't like it. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? He said, look, go, go and confirm this. Okay, When those men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered them and said, go tell John the things you've seen. Don't you love that? <laughs> they come and ask a question, he goes, would, would you guys just sit down here for just a minute, please? And he does this tremendous display of, of power that only God could have. Go tell them what you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. The man answered and said, oh, excuse me, 
He said, go and, go and show these things. Go and tell these things. Jesus did miracles not for the comfort and blessing of the people to whom he did the miracles. One of the greatest mistakes in the contemporary evangelical world today, the folks who would like to believe that you can come up here and I could lay my hands and you could be miraculously healed, is that somehow they think that God wants you to be always healthy. That is not why Jesus healed people. He healed people for the very reason that we've been looking at so that they would look at him and go, whoa, that's never happened before. In fact, this is what happened when a particular blind man was healed. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't, do not know where he, Jesus, is from, yet he opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is from a guy who didn't know anything much about God's word or God's truth. He was a blind man who was healed. And he says to perhaps some of these very same leaders, he says, this is an incredible thing. They went through this episode. They eventually kicked this man out of the synagogue. It is they excommunicated him from the Jewish community because he was saying, look, Jesus healed me. They knew about this guy. They knew the healing of Jesus. And yet they completely closed their eyes and did like we do today. La, 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 can't hear, can't see, don't know what you're talking about. And so Jesus says, look, I've already told you, and look at the miracles I've been doing. What is the impact of Christ that speaks to us today? Again, there are some people who would say, we've got to have these miracles of healing, otherwise people won't believe in Christ. I don't believe that for a minute. I think 1,900 years of the existence of the church, even through intense early persecution and ongoing persecution today points to the reality of the church of Jesus Christ. I think the 120 years that this church has been here and has believed the gospel truth for those 120 years, I think that points to the reality of Christ. We can look at a continuous stream of changed lives over the years. We could begin with Peter. Look at Peter denying Christ, a chicken, a coward, and then standing up in front of those very same people in a public place and saying, you crucified Christ and you need to repent. How does that happen with only a few days in between? Well, there's only one way it happens and that's when the reality of the Holy Spirit came into his life and he was a changed person. We could look at the world-changing influence of some of the greatest people who've ever lived, like William Wilberforce. He fought slavery in great part because he was a Christian, and he said, this is wrong. And he fought it almost till it killed him, and he fought it until it was done. And his influence washed over to our shores as well. We could look at the innovative creations of public education and hospitals. Do you know that public education and hospitals were initiated by Christians? 
Now, we can't imagine a day in which hospitals didn't exist, but you know there was a day when if you didn't have somebody to take care of you, you're just out of luck. But Christians said, hey, we've got to help people. We've got to be compassionate. We've got to do some things. It was Christians. It was a Christian who looked at the the street urchins of England and said, these kids are never going to get out of this squalor if they don't get some education and if they don't come to know the Lord. And it was a Christian who said, let's gather them up on Sunday on their only day off and let's teach them the Bible and let's teach them to read and write and let's help their lives. That was a Christian who did that. The rest of the people didn't care. We could look at the love of a persecuted pastor in India who, when he got the chance to give away food after the tsunami, said, can I go to the villages that have persecuted me and hand them food? That doesn't happen by any natural human means. Or we could look at the life that I spoke of last week. I talked about a fellow who came in here and was struggling in his life But the thing that I would point you to is his friend. The two of them had run drugs together, and he was devastated by the fact that he looked at his friend's life, and he says, his friend has totally changed, so much so that he works for a church now, a Bible-preaching church. How How do lives like that get changed? It's through God. When we see the impact of God, It speaks to us. God calls to us. The question that we have to ask ourselves, Christian, is this. Is your life demonstrating the impact of Christ in such a way that people can hear the voice of the shepherd through you? That is your responsibility. Again, Christ is not going to come down out of heaven and heal all of the diseases in a village like he did when he was on earth 2,000 years ago. He's not going to do it. He's not going to come down and preach the truth. He's not going to come down and hold people's hand when they're struggling. He says, you do it. It's a wonderful song uh, in the Christian radio. If we are the body, why aren't his hands reaching? It's our job. God is only going to reach through us. But you know what? That is tough. It is tough to get out there and live like Christ, to live love is patient. Have you ever thought about this, Christian? Every time you are patient with an unbeliever, Christ calls to them. Because patience is not natural. It's absolutely supernatural. Love is kind. Every time you do something nice for somebody that they don't deserve, God can call through that. Love does not envy. Can you imagine Jesus going to somebody's house and saying, I want this house. I want you to go live in the dirt. I'm going to live in this house. I've got to have this I'm not going to settle till I get this. No. No, why? Because he was more concerned with the souls of men than his own personal comfort. Love does not envy. And you can go right through that list. And I would challenge you this week, Christian, if you say, I want God to call through me, go through that list in 1 Corinthians 13 and say, am I living that out in such a way that when people look at me, they'll go, man, there's something different about you. And they can see the impact of Christ. Christ calls through the impact of his people, the impact of what he's done in the world. 
There's a third way that Christ calls to his sheep, and that is through the direct work of God. Look with me at verse 27 in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. This is a, this is a causative statement. What I mean by that is, Jesus says, I know my sheep before they know me, and I call out to them. What does that mean? That means that God looks down from heaven, and he says, hey, there's Dave Lunsford. That guy is such a sinner that if I don't call to him, he will never respond to me. And so God calls, and he calls us to himself. Listen to this. Um, this familiar passage, but maybe you haven't noted this particular part of it. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The term title Son of Man comes from the book of Daniel, prophesied about the Messiah to come, and he's called the Son of Man there. And Jesus liked to use that name for himself. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist had already been put to death by then. Some say, you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There is an element in our salvation, there is an element in our hearing the voice of Christ which only comes from God himself directly. He reaches down and calls to us. John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. The lost sinner who hears God's word knows nothing about this divine election. He only knows that Christ died for the sins of the world and that he may receive the gift of eternal life by trusting the Savior when he becomes a child of God through faith in Christ. Then he learns that God chose him before the foundation of the world. From the human standpoint, we become his sheep by believing. From the divine standpoint, we believe because we are his sheep. It's a great point of rejoicing for us today as we come to the Lord's Supper, as we, as we contemplate our own Christianity day by day to recognize this fact. God chose you. God reached down and said, I will save this person. He loved you that much. And that's why you certainly came to Christ. It was not an accident, but he reached out to you. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd when he calls through the truth, through his impact, through the work of God. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. And secondly, the sheep believe in the shepherd. Look with me here at verse 25 again. Jesus talks to these Pharisees, these leaders of Israel. They were spiritually aware people. That is, they knew the Old Testament to some degree, some of them to a great degree. He says, I've already told you the truth, but the problem is you don't believe. 
The works that I do in my Father's name, they clearly point to me as being real. That is, they witness of me. But you do not believe. The problem was not one of understanding. The problem was one of belief. Look at this same passage of Scripture again. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it was unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Here's what this fellow says, this blind man who suddenly becomes an expert theologian. This is an inescapable conclusion. The fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the fact that Jesus is the Savior, is an inescapable conclusion unless your sin has completely formed a bias against God. See, these people did not want to believe. They were not looking for the truth. They were looking for a reason to put Jesus to death. That's what we'll learn as we get to the the rest of this chapter later on. And so they had a bias already, and they refused to see the truth. They refused to believe the truth. Here's the way Jesus put it earlier in this book. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and he does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The problem with Christianity is simply this. It points out sin. If if I didn't have to stand and say, you're a sinner, and there's only one Savior then we probably have to build some new buildings. And I'm not saying that everybody who has a large church isn't preaching the truth, but I'm saying some of the people who have a large church clearly do not want to say, you're a sinner on your way to hell. Tomorrow, I'm going to speak at the memorial service for a a lady from my former church, um, 50 years old, died of a stroke, suddenly like that. I know that she knew the Lord. I know that at least her oldest daughter knew the Lord. I'm pretty sure the rest of the family wasn't Christians, but I'm going to stand up tomorrow and and I'm going to say, you can certainly know, you can certainly know that she is in heaven and that you can go there as well. But you've got to confess your sin. And I wish I didn't have to say that. I wish I could go to the funeral and just say all really happy things. But you know what? The greatest happiness will come if one of those people gets a hold of that and says, I'm a sinner. Because if I'm a sinner, I can be forgiven. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, folks, you've got to believe in me, but you don't want to believe. It's not that you can't understand. It's that you are refusing it. You're refusing to believe. The apostle Paul put it this way. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. It's not that they don't know the truth, it's that they are actively fighting the truth. Because what may be known of God is made plain in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen 
being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. God says, this is a no-brainer. People around us want to make it real convoluted and hard, but what God says is, look at the universe. He said, this did not get here by accident. But when people come to the knowledge of the truth, they fight it because they don't want to believe, because they want to stay in their sin. One of the authors I read this week put it this way, Jesus' miraculous works, always called signs in John's gospel, were more than sufficient to prove him to be the Messiah to those who were open-minded. But yet they were not such as to make it possible for the prejudiced to refuse their assent. This is ever God's way of dealing with moral agents, that is, human beings. There are innumerable tokens for the existence of a divine creator sufficient to render all men without excuse. Yet are these tokens of such a nature as not to have banished atheism from the earth. There are a thousand evidences that the Holy Scriptures are the inspired word of God, yet there are multitudes who believe them not. There is a great host of unimpeachable witnesses who testify daily to the saviorhood of the Lord Jesus, yet the great majority of men continue in their sins. We have to teach God's truth. We have to explain God's truth. We have to persuade people, and yet there comes a point at which people have to put faith in Christ in order to be saved. We cannot perhaps explain Christ in some ways that they would like to hear him explained, but, but what you need to understand is it is not a problem of explanation. It is a problem of faith, of belief, of a willingness to abandon sin and embrace the Savior. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. The sheep believe in the shepherd. And thirdly, the sheep follow the shepherd. Look here at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. True belief results in obedient living. If you're taking notes, you ought to write that down. Not because it's so profound for me, it's because what God says. True belief results in obedient living. We were having a discussion in our family yesterday about a certain person. Do they know the Lord? And, and we had to say, well, not according to what the Bible says. I, I can't judge your Christianity as a human being, but I can take God's word and hold it up next to your life and say, does it match what God said? Look at this. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. Are you a good tree? If you are the sheep of God, if you are the good tree of God, then there should be good fruit coming out of your life. Good by God's definition. Now, I understand that Christians get stuck in some sinful patterns, and those need to change, and it takes a while. I understand that. But then I'd ask the question, are you trying to change that sinful pattern? Good trees produce good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Now, it is not my desire to be a fruit inspector. No, much rather, I'd rather be a fruit enjoyer. I'd rather rejoice with you and what God is doing in your life. I'm not preaching this today so I can inspect your fruit. I'm preaching it today so you'll inspect your fruit. Most of all, so that you won't be confused about whether you are a good tree or a bad, whether you are one of the sheep or not one of the sheep. See, one of our problems, and it's generated by our theology, but maybe we haven't been balanced enough, and the problem is this. How do you come to faith in Christ? Well, you come to faith in Christ by saying, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and, and so on. Let's pray. Let's express that to God, and so on. Great. Okay? And, and I believe, essentially, you have to express your belief. Romans 10 says, somehow you have to express your belief. With your mouth, you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Whether you do that in prayer or, or however you do it, somehow that has to be done. That, that is sort of the, what would we call that, the official act of commitment to Christ. It starts in your heart, it's expressed in your mouth. Now the problem we get into is sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, you know, when I was four, I said those words. Or we look at somebody else, and when he was four, he said those words. He must be a child of God. You have to say the words. You have to believe that. I, I believe that. Don't get me wrong. But look at this. If it was real in your heart, then it will be real in your hands, and your feet, and your mouth, and your ears, and everywhere else. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to claim that. But the question is, is good fruit being produced in your life? Fruit commensurate with, with godliness. Last week we talked about it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the standard. Is that kind of fruit being produced in you? Or do you love something else? Like Carl said, maybe you love something else in your life so much that you won't love God fully. And so you, you really are not a good tree. By, your, by their fruits you will know them. And here's the scary part. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, in the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name that has spoken your truth? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, this is not at all teaching that you, you should earn your salvation by your good deeds. Absolutely not. What this is teaching is, my sheep hear my voice, they believe in me, and the result is they follow me. If you have heard and if you have believed, the natural result will be following and when you come to a bump in the road and you come to somebody like Cindy who is committed to sharing the scripture with you and, and you say, I'm having a hard time and Cindy opens up the word and she says, here it is. If you're a sheep, you'll go, oh, thank you for sharing that with me. I've missed that. If you're not, you might be inclined to say, I don't think God really understands my situation. 
That's what God is talking about. Do you follow Christ? Are you a follower of Christ? I mean, if Christ were walking across the room and we'd say, how many of you are following Christ? And we'd look and we'd see which ones are walking right behind him. And the ones that were going the other way, we'd know they were going the other way. That's the mental picture that that the way you follow him is to walk in his steps. Not the crucifixion part, but the loving your neighbor, the sharing the truth, all of that. Are you following Christ? John puts it this way. This is the message which we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we are in fellowship with him, that is, we are his child, and yet we're walking in sin or darkness, we're lying. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, he's not saying you need to earn your salvation by your good deeds, but what he's saying is if you, if you have heard, if you have believed, and you claim that you have believed, then the natural result should be walking in the light of Christ. Are you following the shepherd? The reason this is so important is because of this. If your life is characterized by righteousness, and again, I didn't say complete and utter perfection, I said righteousness, then you are one of Christ's sheep. This week, two different men were released from prison after years of incarceration because DNA evidence now proved their innocence. One in a murder, one in a rape. I mean, one guy was in jail like 14 years or something like that, and the other guy 20. It was a long time. New evidence clearly said you got the wrong guy. Jesus is never uncertain about his sheep. He never gets the wrong guy. He never makes a mistake. He knows who we are. He reaches down and cares for us. It is a certain thing. It is a certain thing for us to know that we are his child. And so I would challenge you today as we close... Have you heard the voice of the shepherd? Have you believed? And are you following? Let's pray. Father, thank you for making it possible for us to know certainly that we are your sheep. You put the Holy Spirit in our hearts. You've given us this description Father, may we follow. Help us. Help us not to to walk on our own path. Help us to be obedient sheep. Father, help us to be sheep that demonstrate the love of Christ so that others might become sheep also. We're so glad to be part of your work in this part of the world. Help us to be faithful in it. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at 
www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.